Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on the Celtics blog podcast feed. I'm Adam Motenko. With me, as always, my little brother, Josh. What's up, Josh? I'm not your little brother, dude. It's nine minutes younger, all right? I kicked you out. I had room for two in there. You want to get into this now? And our good friend, Mike Minkoff. How's it going, Mike? Going all right. Um, I was uh, living solo and in, in my mother's womb, so uh, <laughs> no, no gripes to deal with like yours. You singletons, you just don't know what life is like. We don't get it. Intimacy, yeah. On the podcast today, we're going to talk about some recent news, the season resuming, Carol Lawson's departure, Kemba's knee, and we're going to answer the question, can the Celtics win it all this year? Before talking about, is it weird to even focus on and talk about basketball right now, given everything else going on in the world? Let's kick this off. The season resumes uh, on... Uh, the 31st of this month, July. You guys, do you even know what the schedule is? Not the slightest idea. <laughs> no. We play uh, eight games, I think. That's right. That's right. Let me give you these eight games. And and I want you to, to just quickly, back of the envelope math, let me know what you think the record is going to be for these initial eight games. Okay. So on Friday, July 31st, the Celtics kick off against the Bucks. The Bucks. Then on Sunday, August 2nd, the Celtics play the Trailblazers. August 4th, they play the Heat. Then they play the next day against the Nets. Then they get a day off, and on the 7th, they play the Raptors. Then two days later, they play the Magic. Two days later, they play the Grizzlies. And then they end the, I'll call this preseason, we should call this like the, the televised uh, contract games. Uh, they end that with the Wizards. Bucks, Blazers, Heat, Nets, Raptors, Magic, Grizzlies, Wizards. Josh, what do you think a record looks like here? We're going seven and one in that stretch. We're going (laughs) to lose the first game to the Bucks. That'll motivate (laughs) us to get our stuff together, and then we'll be good to go. And we got kind of an easier schedule. I'm not too scared of Portland, and I'm not too scared of Memphis, and then like you know Orlando, Washington. Who cares? I'm going to say five and three, but it, the the three losses are not necessarily going to be the That's ones pretty that pessimistic. Five, five and three is pessimistic? pessimistic. Yeah, I feel like we've got five as gimme as they get based on what you just said in the in this bubble setup. I well, mean, this bubble setup is going we, to be weird. Washington, like, Orlando, Washington. Washington, Orlando, the Nets, and the Grizzlies. Uh, sure, we might not beat them, but we have to beat them. Who? Oh, and Portland. So I would say all five of those should be wins. I mean, the only team we have to beat is the Grizzlies, so that we can get a better draft pick, right? Or, or yeah. Oh, stop! No, it. we just stop it. You're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go six and two. I think Josh is a little. Those glasses are a little too uh, green tinted. Adam, you're a little too pessimistic. I'm gonna split the difference. Uh, I'm gonna be at four and a half minutes between you two. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are completely wrong. We're going to lose some games that we don't expect to lose because we're resting players because the other team actually cares and we don't. It, you're going to see some weird uh, uh, situations, I think, in this restart with who, who teams play, who they don't, how rest works, things like that. Oh, no, you're totally right. We're, we're going to be like Kemba's not going to play all eight games. You know, we're going to be resting guys like crazy um, and going to be losing some games intentionally, I think, because of that. I was I was you know, being a little sarcastic. The only thing is the Heat are two and a half games behind us. Um, I don't know if we'll 
catch up to the Raptors. We're three games behind them. I'm just trying to think of like, if let's say we lose all those games, are we actually in, in uh, risking of going down to the fourth spot um, and, and changing our playoff odds or changing who we play? Um, let's yeah, talk more I, about that later. Yeah. That's going to be important. And that's going to depend on what happens with Miami, Indiana, and Philly. What are the standings again? Could someone remind me? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we got the Bucks number one, the Raptors number two, the Celtics were three games behind the Raptors in third place, and the Heat is two and a half games behind us in fourth place, and then two behind that is the Pacers and Sixers. Then obviously the Nets, uh, seven, eight, nine is Nets, Magic, Wizards. And then the Hornets, are, are they even in this? No, the Hornets aren't okay. in this. And Indiana doesn't have Oladipo. Potentially, potentially, he could be playing. Uncertain. Oh, that's right. He was. He learned that he was going to lose all his money, and now he's rethinking playing. And it sounds like he may play. (laughs) Exactly. But um, didn't something happen to someone else on their team? (laughs) Um, Uh, That was very informative. (laughs) Are we still trying to avoid Philadelphia in the playoffs? Well, Philly. I, what I've read recently is that um, Brett Brown has been playing Ben Simmons at the four in practice and playing Shake Milton at the one to right. get more shooting on the outside, which in theory is like, oh, yeah, actually, that's a clever. But let's be honest here. Like at the end of the season, you're going to now all of a sudden change everything around. I don't see that boating well for them. And, and it seems like comes a, off the bench. Yeah, exactly. And so it seems like a move that's coming out of fear just because you got to do something with this Ben Simmons cat who can't shoot. And, hey, Shake Milton, what did he – he put up like a 50-piece on somebody? He had some good game. And like it was like one game or one week of game, good games uh, before coronavirus. So so just, just a couple quick reactions. One, when we went through the standings until you mentioned Philadelphia, I had forgotten about them. Just – generally uh two same thing with horford um <laughs> you forgot all. about that, him that, those are i just <laughs> forgot about all of that <laughs> that's my yeah, contribution to this conversation we're foreshadowing we're foreshadowing the the conversation coming later about does it even matter should we even be focusing and discussing on basketball given everything else going on right now um i'm still afraid of philly uh because of their size i do not like the way the celtics match up against us so in terms of what should we be trying to change from the third seed to the fourth seed or even get up to the second seed yes if we can get to the second seed great i don't think we will um but it totally depends on whether we're going to face philadelphia or not and i definitely want to avoid them i'd rather play miami indiana brooklyn etc i no i agree with that i think i i think philly and milwaukee uh, at least based on the first (laughs) two-thirds of the regular season are the teams that we want to minimize our exposure to uh and presumably if we want to get all the way to the championship we'd have to go through milwaukee but if we can avoid philly that would be swell i agree with you adam another bit of news carol lawson congratulations on becoming the new head basketball coach for the duke women's basketball team Kara has left the nba quarantine she's no longer coaching with the celtics coach josh matenko what is the impact of losing Kara at this point um, I, you know, obviously there's relationship impact. I think that, you know, it seemed like she had great relationships with the players. It seems like the players really took to her and valued her 
coaching, her opinions. Um, you know, it seems, she seems like a coach who really cares about the guys. Um, so there's, you're going to lose some consistency, like, uh, in college. And this is how Brad does it. Not all NBA teams do it like this, but you know, you split up your players into certain groups and, uh, for individual workouts for, uh, you know, the different tasks, different, uh, maybe even different teams, depending on who's got the scouting report. But usually you've got like Carol, Kara's got this group of guys, this, these five or six guys, the other assistant coaches each have their own group of guys. And so you build a bond with one coach specifically more than others sometimes because you're grouped with them. So now you have a, a group, um, which I think was mostly rookies for her, that is, you know, changing their pattern their consistency, but that's all changed anyway from coronavirus. We haven't played in months. We haven't practiced in months. So I don't think that that's, you know, everyone should be used to adapting. So losing an assistant coach, I don't think actually is a big deal at all right now. Um, but besides just the relationship component, you know, everything's just so different anyway. I don't think it has that big of an impact. Um, I'm more curious... Like Go ahead. It sounds like you're saying that it has some impact, but it's just not a big one given everything else going on. Yeah, given coronavirus, given just the way everyone's lives have been uh, changed so much, just on a personal level, everyone now is has kind of exercised their adaptability muscles in their lives, and uh, you know we're we're used to this kind of stuff. Like something new happens, and we're like, okay, this is par for the course. We're ready for this. I'm more curious. I know she worked though. a lot with Marcus Smart too. Yeah, you know, it seems like it seems like some of the players really loved her, and and yeah, you know, she had a great bond with them. I mean, the Celtics have that, I think, with a lot of their coaching staff, and and that's just part of the chemistry that they've built. So you're losing a member of the family, but it, you know, what what is she going to do for Duke right now? You know, like what what she's obviously going to be continuing to recruit, but we don't know if they're if the NCAA is even going to have a season or practices or, you know, we don't every, all of that is up in the air. So just the idea of getting a new head coaching job right now in basketball is, is just to me an off the wall idea. I mean, obviously you take the job, you start to get a salary, you prepare as if everything's going to happen and then you adapt. But, you know, there's just not a whole lot going on right now besides, you know, continuing to recruit and getting a team together and then telling all your players, yeah, we're hoping all of this that we can play, but we don't know. Was there another point you were going to make about that? No. Okay. All right. Well, then let's move on. Um, yeah, we got to talk about can the Celtics win at all? I feel like uh, all the stuff about Kemba's knee and, and other things like that, it's all based on, you know, whether you think that's going to impact the Celtics winning at all or not, right? I mean, it, I, there, it's, it's a chicken or the egg in my mind. Let's let's talk about Kemba's knee. He's been missing these practices that they, they've had in the bubble. Um, and, and, of course, going back to right after the All-Star game, he had swelling in his left knee that resulted in him having uh, the knee drained. And, and let me just also say, put some context around this, we like to talk about uh, uh, the six medical issues on this podcast. And we call this segment, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on this podcast. Uh, so I'm about to get get into detail here. So after he had that knee drained, he had an injection of Synvisc, which aids in the minimization of swelling and soreness. And that was, what, three, four months ago at this point? 
this supposedly he had a lot of time to rest, rebuild strength in the knee. He's got swelling again now. The other day he came out and he said, I can't really explain it, but it was pain in the side of my knee. Brad Stevens is saying he's not worried about it. And the Celtics are all saying that they are taking a, a just uh, abundance of caution approach to uh, limiting his the impact on his knee. And, and, and um, they're just trying to give him rest and, and build him up slowly. I kind of feel like we've heard that he's been working out with... Um, uh, who was staying with Kemba? Grant Williams. Yeah, that they were working out a lot. He should have had time to build up. Obviously, nobody's in basketball shape at this point, but um, are you concerned about Kemba's knee at this point? I'm not that concerned about it. Um, I think it plays a part for sure. I mean, nobody knows. I, I, don't, I think it's a weird question because nobody knows. We've got to wait and see and watch him play. Mike, any thoughts on this? Uh, it's too bad that you know uh, the U.S. is not allowed to send, uh, or U- U.S. citizens are not allowed into Europe right now, because uh, it sounds like someone needs to get over to Germany for some uh, PRP platelet <laughs> some <laughs> that, plasma yeah. therapy, <laughs> um, some of that old Kobe, Kobe Bryant treatment, Kobe and, and Dirk. Um, and that's again, yeah, I mean, to let everybody know, Mike, that's when you are what replacing your blood or cycling different blood through your blood or something. What is that? Sure. Yeah, that sounds right. Let's say yes. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea. Yep. Yeah, we're not doctors. <laughs> we're not doctors. I'm both not a doctor nor a blood uh, scientist. Uh, but I think centrifuges and red blood cells are involved. Uh, <laughs> it's called a phlebotomist. Um, so, I mean, it's obviously not a good thing when you've got a sore knee that persists for four months. Uh, Kemba's never had injury his, his issues in the past. Um, He's played a lot of minutes. He's a kind of small guy. He's getting to an age where these types of things linger, and we just signed him to a $160 million deal or whatever it was. So probably not a great combination of things, if you're being if you're being honest. <laughs> uh, he'll probably gut it through, and I don't expect it'll be a major issue over the course of the postseason, um, especially if the games are a bit more spaced out. But again, no idea what the actual postseason schedule would look like, and if schedules will be more compressed because everyone's in the same location so they don't need to travel uh you know compression of schedule will not be good for kemba so um you know something to keep an eye on and uh could it could impact i think one of the one of the you know reasons why the celtics have a chance to win it in your eyes uh josh if i if i remember correctly from our conversations four months ago let me i got reasons to jump in and, and Yeah, so before we get to that, I just want to say, as an amateur athlete of a certain age, whenever I have an injury and then I rest for a period of time and try and rehab it, and the injury is still there, it's not a good sign. So I am definitely concerned about Kemba and his ability to play uh, a lot of games in a short period of time, uh, both now and next season when they try and do this again. Um, So uh, I'm going to be watching this. Obviously, I think Kemba is going to... He's going to gut it out as much as he can, and he's going to play as much as possible. I'm just concerned about um, that the, that he may need to take some games off, or his his uh, ability to to have an impact is it may be lessened. Every time we have this segment, it always ends with you know it starts with us saying we're not doctors. Like like it sounds like it sounds like it's 
the itis to me. It sounds like, you know, it's just arthritis of the knee. If it's reoccurring like that, you know, we give an opinion that's based on nothing. And then Adam always ends with talking about his own experience with injuries. This is comedy at its finest. I've got a broken body and it gives me knowledge that is transferable, Josh. Great. <laughs> I'm not going to okay. get into your uh, brotherly feud here, but it doesn't sound like arthritis to me, which doesn't really, in my understanding. No, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't matter what I think. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Moving on. What's next, Adam? So, so Josh, let's get to this question. Can the Celtics win it all this year? Uh, I know that you've, you've got some thoughts both pros and cons. I'm going to let you kick us off here. Well, yeah, I got a lot of reasons. I got reasons upon reasons of why the Celtics can, and I got reasons upon reasons why the Celtics are not going to be able to. I got their top five fatal flaws, in my opinion, uh, You know, obviously based on no statistical evidence at all, just a feeling, <laughs> just a gut feeling. Um, and, and then I have an opinion. So you want reasons or you want my opinion? Wait a minute. Is this feeling, the same feelings and opinions. Used? This is give, the same logic you just used to, to, to downplay my, my doctor, I'm not a doctor segment. Yeah, this is a comedy <laughs> podcast. I don't know if you all checked in for Celtics information, but we are uh, a poor man's comedy podcast here on the Celtics blog podcast network. Okay. So Josh, um, give us a reason. So, I mean, okay, so, so to... here you go. Top, top one of the reasons why the Celtics won't win at all, Kemba's knee. All right, so we're Wait, already kind of going will. in. Uh, won't. We're already, yeah, we're already going into that. I mean, it was scary earlier in the year when Kemba seemingly re-injured himself by playing too much in the All-Star game and then, you know, having to take more time off. So, yeah, the, that's scary if you're thinking about can the Celtics actually win the championship. Um, and the impact there, I just want to dig a little bit deeper into that, is that you then have Marcus Smart starting and it completely depletes your bench. Right. That's this, not there's... true. Remember when we were really good, when Tatum was really good? That was when Kemba was out. Right, but that has that says nothing to the bench. And there are a lot of statistics about bench scoring. The Celtics haven't, like, they're like 28. Says the guy who literally scoring. just said he has no statistics to back up his points. <laughs> so, but I've, I've read recently <laughs> that the Celtics are in, I think, 28th in the league in bench scoring. And that's with Marcus Smart on the bench. So, you, you, Adam, you're right. You move Marcus Smart to the starting lineup, and now all of a sudden the bench is in deep trouble. Hopefully some of these rookies can think of themselves as second-year players going into this, as if they've already finished their first uh, – you know, that's, that's always the coach speak. You, you've got a team full of first-year players, and you tell all of them now that you're going into the playoffs, like, okay, conference is over, preseason is over. You are not a first-year player anymore. You're not, you know, I can hear, I can hear our head coach at Fresno State yelling right now. You're not a freshman anymore, you know, because it's it's time for the playoffs. Um, I've heard I've heard some uh, some points out there. Some people saying that Grant Williams has improved, that Carson Edwards has improved, that Tremont Waters has improved. It's like a lot of preseason style puff yeah. pieces about about the work that people have, have put in here. Mike, do you actually? Do you think that that um, Tatum's production while playing with Walker again is a concern at all? I think that the Celtics have not had a chance to prove that they actually can um, optimize their team 
with everybody healthy because they always this whole season they had a rotation of injuries and i think any of our best stretches generally coincided with one of our quote-unquote like top four players or top five players being out um i personally think the celtics are better equipped when a lower usage player like marcus smart is uh playing with some of the other higher usage pieces um and so that's a roundabout way of saying i think it will it could very well affect tatum's production to me it really depends on whether kemba has had kind of will will grow and or has already grown into a player that can better recognize kind of when he's being focused on uh, towards yeah. the end of games, yeah. I've seen he tries to go into hero mode a little bit. And I think if he can use that to his advantage and the Celtics as the team's advantage and draw attention, but not press too much and force the issue too much, but instead get the ball to someone like a Tatum, then it could be really good for Tatum and for the Celtics. But if if he goes into kind of Charlotte Kemba, where he was really the only option, so he just, you know, felt like he always had to take over, no matter what the defense was throwing at him, I think that's going to be bad for the Celtics in the playoffs, to be honest. Yeah, and I, I, Mike, I feel like he was really figuring that out this year. You know, early on in the year, you could see he really struggled with that. And especially since Tatum's ascension, he's... I think, I think he, I think he's got that figured out. Um, I, he, we, we haven't had a chance to see it though. Like there were like six more games once he came back after Tatum's ascension before the whole season had the plug pulled. Right, but right? even before, like, even before Tatum started to show out like he did, I felt like Kemba was figuring that out. And then with, with Tatum's ascension, now it's obvious. I don't have to be the number one guy. I can be the number two. And with his knee bothering him like this, I think it's just obvious to, to Kemba that he doesn't have to force anything. I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's one thing to like intellectually understand something and another thing to undo, you know, what a 28 years of basketball playing kind of uh, yeah. mental patterns. I respect that. I do think, Josh, though, given everything. Go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say, I do think that Kemba has another level to get to, though. Um, you know, he, he just, the Celtics version of Kemba was not the Hornets version. I feel like he, you know, he, even like his finishing around the rim, which I felt like was a big issue for him throughout this year. Like Kemba just didn't seem like he was 100% at all the entire year. And I feel like if we can get that out of him, like there's still room for him. And, um, despite the fear of his injury, um, despite the fear of him maybe not blending with Tatum as much, I think that he's got another level to go. And I, I see a lot of optimism in that. And I see actually that for several players on the roster, that they have another level to get to. Um, and that's why I think that, they, that the Celtics can win it all. So wait, what, what is the level that, what does it look like for Kemba to be at this next level that you're imagining? It looks like what Mike is saying. Like he knows, and it's pretty seamless when to take over, when to take that pull-up three, 
and when to get somebody else involved, depending on what's going on. It's the feel for the game, the basketball IQ, the being a point guard and a leader and like a floor general more, instead of just a, a, a guy who's going to get buckets from the point guard position and, and know how to move the ball as well. Like it's, it's a really controlling the game and feeling it and being in the zone. See, I, I think the more that everyone, including Kemba, really looks the, at this as Tatum's team, the better off we are. Right. And I don't know if mm-hmm. Kemba's quite there. But the reality is that Tatum and Brown have played, and Smart, have played in the most high leverage minutes of anybody on the team, including, by a long way, Kemba and Hayward despite their much longer careers. Like they've never been to a conference finals. Um, they or played in a conference. Well, yeah, you're right. Hayward, Kemba, whatever. Kemba, but you, Kemba has but only, like, Kemba's only played in two playoff series. He's never been out of the first round. Right. Like I just, I just think that Tatum by far is going to be, and he's not perfect, but he's 21. And I would rather him get the reps even this playoff round or this playoff run as the primary decision maker in those high leverage situations and Kemba approach all of them with the mindset of, I can take this set back three if I have it and I can drive into a double team with the expectation, not of forcing the issue, but of drawing the defense and, and getting it to someone like a Brown or a Tatum with the defense, you know, ex- uh, compromised. And so I, you know, this extra level to me is really about him maximizing himself as a second option. I agree with Mike. Yeah. Does, I think that, look, does that fit into that level? Yeah. I, Cause I think that that's what a point guard floor general is supposed to do. They're supposed to get in where they fit in. They're supposed to get everybody involved. They're supposed to know like the rankings of things. And I think Tatum has established the rankings and it gets, and you know, I've said this on the pod before. It doesn't just get Kemba to fit into that second guy spot, but it gets everybody else to fit into a spot that's perfect for them, you know. And and on down the roster, it means that Marcus Smart isn't doesn't have to shoot big shots at the end of games, which is always a scary prospect. Um, you know, it just puts everybody in their rightful spot. It puts Hayward over to that fourth guy option, so he doesn't have to be counted on when he's not necessarily having a lot of confidence. Um, yeah. And so do you, ask, go ahead. Uh, can I ask a question first? Um, so if, if it sounds like you guys both agree that that's kind of what the order should be now, you know, maybe Josh, you can answer this first, but I want both of your answers here. Um, but Josh, from your perspective as a, as a former coach, um, do you think, Brad Stevens should explicitly kind of set the expectation for that to be how things work or should a coach allow a team to kind of take the organic shape it takes based on the personalities, um, whether or not that aligns with kind of the optimal dynamics from, from where the coach is sitting like how he'd like to see the team play and and function. Yeah. That is a really good question. Second part of the question is, if you think the answer is yes, do you think Brad Stevens, based on Brad Stevens, would actually do it? No. So, yeah, it's it's a really good question. The answer is that it's, like, probably the most delicate thing that coaches have to do. 
and the best coaches are really good at at making it explicit without actually saying it. So everybody in the room already knows what it is. Everybody's watching Tatum. And so as a coach, and I think that this is the type of coach that Brad is, he would probably, you know, uh, in front of the group, say how great Tatum is doing and congratulate him and pump him up and make him feel good. You know, you always want to uh, criticize privately and promote people publicly. And he's, you know, so everyone sees that everyone, you know, it's, it's, it's something that everyone can feel in the room. And so you don't have to explicitly say, we're going to go to Tatum at the end of the games because everybody already knows, you know, that's what Brad has done a lot already. So why would it be any different? But you can't just assume that, you know, because he may use Tatum as a decoy at the end of a game for strategic reasons, you know. So you're not going to, as a player, I don't think you're going to overthink that, um, especially with the chemistry that this team has. And as a coach, you're not going to explicitly say it. So it's not like you either do one or the other. You're always trying to play that middle ground just by promoting the players who are playing well and, and publicizing them. What do you think, Adam? I I was just listening intently to what Josh was saying there. I, I mean, I, I, I was also thinking about some stories I've heard from Josh's experience of different coaches he's worked with of, of like how they determine who is the alpha, which sometimes looks <laughs> more barbaric in terms of like letting them fight it out. And whoever kind of comes out as the alpha dog, sometimes from a physical altercation in a practice or something like that, that ends up being the person who people follow. Um, I don't know whether, uh, Josh, I, I don't know your thoughts on like whether that's a positive or a negative approach, but I, I'm just listening intently to what you're saying here. Well, I don't think that, I don't think players fighting in practice, like literally fighting is, is something that is worth talking about with this team. Cause I don't see that yeah, ha- love happening with this team. Like we just don't have those types of guys. Um, maybe. With- and we also know, we also know the answer. It's Marcus. So move on. Right. <laughs> Nobody's fighting Marcus Smart. You know, but like last year would have been different. Like, you know, you, I could see Marcus Morris getting into an altercation in practice and establishing himself as higher up on the, the totem pole than, uh, than maybe before that altercation and in, in the, the entire team's eyes. You know, so that's maybe an, uh, an example of a hypothetical thing that could happen. Um, but with this team, I don't see that even being an issue or – or needing that and with the best with with the championship level teams i don't think you have that I, you know i don't think there's that much friction to josh get, do you, you know? I, i'm coming at the question i mean I, I mike i i have i'm coming at the question with more questions like i josh said i don't think the players are overthinking that i'm thinking i would be overthinking it and i'm wondering do, are the players talking to each other privately like does kemba have to go to tatum and say you're the man you take the last shot sort of a thing for Tatum to, to be able to fully uh, act with confidence. I, I think, I think if Kemba did that publicly, that, that would go a long way. Or, and if Kemba did that, like talked with Brad about that, but it's the, that would be, that would be the ultimate thing by Kemba. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if that's good. And it might be his wiring, but you, I mean, you don't got, want, you don't want to, you don't want to do that you don't want Tatum to get a big head. You always want to keep him on edge. You want to keep, you know, like as a coach, you always want to keep your players on edge. So you don't want to 
like do too much. You're always trying to find this gray area, middle ground, you know. So, that, so Brad's not going to say this is Tatum's team. Like he's never going to say that because he doesn't want the players to actually think that, even if they already are thinking that. You know, you want to always talk about, you know, like, like as a coach to to coach a specific person. Sometimes you're going to be saying we need to do this as a team when everyone knows you're talking about that one guy needs to do a better job of that. But you're not going to say that as a coach. And do the players have these private conversations where they they outline, yes. look, here's the way it actually is? Yes, the players behind doors are yeah. going to have all kinds of different conversations. And, any any, organi- any organization does, yeah. right. right? And that that's why I want. That's why I asked the question. I mean, in my experience, I've not not just in basketball context, is that when there's too much left unsaid, it creates more space for those side conversations to become problematic. Um, I, I agree, Josh, that it's a, a, a balance and a dance that needs to, you know, uh, be, be kind of carefully undertaken to, to make sure there's, there's enough clarity on what the expectations are, um, that everyone's kind of being guided and pointed in the right direction, uh, consistently and in a, in a structured way, but being overly prescriptive is going to lead to its own set of problems. Um, yeah, you want and I think, Tatum. I think, I think in my observation, I think what we see from Brad publicly, I do worry that he can be a little, can err a little too far on being kind of not sufficiently prescriptive at times where I think a little bit more explicit structure could be advantageous. Um, and I, but I, but I, it gets very, it, it gets, it's shades of gray. Cause if you, you know, it's a very, very fine line. If this was a team with Tatum doing what he's doing and then not much else, you would have to lean on a 21 year old more to be the guy and to, and, and maybe you would want to say that then, but we don't need to do that. We have so many other options. You want Tatum to be always striving for greatness and, and trying to get better every single day. So that you can hope that he's going to do that, and and if he is, then you're riding his coattails. Everyone's following him because that's just the flow of that game. If you put it all on him now, and then he makes some mistakes, like we want to have everybody else ready to step up if he's making mistakes and not being that superstar that he's seemingly turned into. So, um, you know, just it's not just coach speak to say like it's about the team. Because, you know, that's really what is going to win championships. But this, I think, Mike, you're bringing up some good points uh, as to to whether the Celtics can win it all or not. Because the playoff experience is an issue. You know, you mentioned that. Um, the youth is an issue. Yeah, young legs are, are great. You know, Bill Simmons' theory that young legs are going to make a big difference in this bubble, I think, is, is spot on. But at the same time, you know, youth is always susceptible to making mistakes um, I even heard Kenny Smith uh, talking about how he feels like this AAU style of of like you're walking away from the game still in your jersey back to your hotel and everyone's walking together because they're all in the same hotel. Um, that that you know that's going to be uh, a better situation for younger guys who are maybe more fearless and and don't uh, you know more in their head about it like 
the fact that they don't have experience going into someone else's arena doesn't matter because you're not going into someone else's arena. So this idea of youth and playoff experience, I think, is important for the Celtics team and kind of goes into, I guess, the consistency too. Like we've consistently been had to be adaptable um, because we've had so many different lineups. Like, you know, there's the stat about us not having our top five guys on the court for very long. Um, so even before coronavirus as a team, we've had to be adaptable and we, you know, have won 65% of our games with many different lineups. Um, but we still don't know what's going to happen when our core does actually get on the court together. You know, not just can Tatum and, and Kemba mesh together and can Kemba figure out how to be the perfect complement to Tatum, but all five, you know, guys, when you got, um, Hayward Brown, Kemba, Smart, um, and Tatum on the court together. Right. But that, right. But that, the pecking order starts with those two. Yeah. And if they, if they fall into line, then it's kind of, you know, Brown, Hayward, and Smart all kind of have their, their lanes um, that they can slide into. So, Adam, I'll ask you is do you think our our ability to be adaptable is, a, you know, a potential silver lining and a reason we could win the championship? Or do you think that the fact that we haven't had our top five guys play together very much is potentially one of our fatal flaws? I think Danny built the team to be adaptable uh, in terms of lineups, uh, size, going big, going small, uh, lots of shooting from the outside. I think that he was thinking playoffs, and you're always playing the matchups in the playoffs. So, um, that was the intention. Whether or not that we can actually play that out is going to depend on health, I think, mostly. Not just Kemba, but Robert Williams, I think, is the next factor. Uh, a lot of reports that he's learned some things over the break, that he's looking great and, um, physically and is uh, thinking the game a lot better. And if he can play significant minutes, that's a huge difference maker against some bigger teams. But, forgot about um, him too. I don't. I don't. <laughs> you forgot about just, him? Just, oh just yeah, forgot uh, he existed. Mike, yes. hey Mike, remember Javante Green? <laughs> I do now. <laughs> I had not. So, Josh, I don't think I like this idea that because the team hasn't played together enough, that that makes them adaptable. That that is a that's a negative to me. That's not a positive. Uh, you know what's so, that? One of the things, so let me ask this question because I've been wanting to ask this for, for like 10 minutes here. So one of the things I've been thinking about, and Josh, you said basically Kemba, if Kemba levels up, that's kind of a best case scenario based on your definition of what that looks like. I'm thinking about this in some ways as a, a not worse, but a less case scenario with Kemba that let's say that a lot of the things that Mike brought up, um, the, the injury, the need for load management, the fact that Ian Tatum haven't figured out what a dynamic looks like yet things like that, if that is the case, is it crazy to consider bringing Kemba off the bench It's starting smart? It's not crazy if he's banged up and if you use like a medical excuse for why in, in the media, okay. then you could actually do that. And But that would be the only time you could do that, I think. Because it's just, it's, the optics of it aren't good otherwise, you know? Yeah. I'm just thinking Tatum has played so well without Kemba on the court. They know what that dynamic looks like. They were bringing Hayward 
in the rotation. They were taking him out and bringing him back in to kind of lead the second unit for a while. Hayward's got uh, his own concerns, apparently. Mike, you, you had heard that his, he's got some foot pain or something? I think it's just like whatever weird like occasional numbness or soreness he was feeling in his foot from post-surgery was still around. But it's, I mean, it sounded like when he was talking about it initially during the season, like during the first part of the season, like a season part A, how, how do we refer to this <laughs> before yeah. lockdown? Um, <laughs> uh, it it kind of, the way he was describing it then, it just kind of sounded like it was going to be there forever for him. Like he was just going to always yeah. have to deal with it. And uh, I saw some headline that suggested that that is in fact the case. Or like a paragraph article, or something. I don't even remember. And then there's, um, and, and then there's him uh, leaving for the birth of his first son, which would be sometime during the playoffs as well, right? So there's some issues with uh, Gordon Hayward potentially being an yeah. X factor or being a reason why, uh, or being a detriment to the team and to our winning. And the concern there. Speaking of of children, I hear your daughter in the background. Um, the, the concern there, of course, is the, the how long it will take him to go through the quarantine process once he returns to campus after the birth. So, right. okay. So, Josh, other reasons that, that are in your head about why the I – mean, so let me ask you this. Are, are, we, are you saying, Josh, where do you stand on whether the Celtics can win the title or not? Like, how, how likely is this? I think the Celtics can win the title. I'm, I'm super optimistic as a Celtics fan, you know, as, as a knowledgeable basketball person. I feel like the Celtics – are, are in the perfect kind of sleeper situation right now where everybody's over-focused on the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Bucks. I think the Bucks have the best chance to win it. Um, wow. But, but I think the Celtics are right there, and I think no one's talking about them, and I like it that way. I think it's perfect. Um, and Mike, I think do you that, have thoughts on this? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I guess the question really is, like, what do you mean by can? Yeah, do I think they're there's a possibility sure do i think there's a likelihood (laughs) no um a lot of things would have to go right for them i think you know i I think generally speaking what you see in the regular season is what you get and what we saw in the regular season is that the team can hit the highest notes um and go toe-to-toe with anybody but the likelihood is that they're not going to be able to do that as consistently as, as in particular, a team like the Bucks. Um, you know, I think head-to-head, anyone in the Eastern Conference, they, they generally match up really well with and, and could beat with <laughs> the possible exception of Philly, uh, as we discussed before. And then in the Western Conference, you know, it's the same. So I do, I do think they have a chance, um, but I think getting out of the East is going to be tough for them uh, with the Bucks. I, I think Giannis is... Um, is obviously kind of no pun intended, uh, but probably also factually ahead above <laughs> anybody on the Celtics team. So, Mike, I, I'm with I'm with Mike on this, and when I think about this question, I think about the other teams. And to right. me, there's two tiers here. Uh, one tier one includes Milwaukee uh, and both LA teams, and that's it. And tier two in the East. For me, includes Toronto and Boston, uh, and I have to include Philly there. 
and I and I can't decide. I don't think Miami is included in that. No, uh, no, no, no. You were right with the first two. The Raptors and the Celtics, I think, are just a level below, but still have a shot. And and I don't know if anyone else is in that conversation. Yeah, but, I I don't think Philly is in a normal way, but I think for the purposes of thinking how the Celtics the Celtics chances, I think Philly belongs there because I think Philly is a problematic matchup for the Celtics. So yeah, we've talked. So okay, let's let's go into this because Adams talked about this a little bit on the pod. Yeah. We're, we're bringing up Philly over and over again. This is one of our f- top five fatal flaws, in my opinion. I call this fifi fofum. We're too small defensively to guard the bigger folks. We're about to see in the playoffs, son. That All right. start. That was so. Wow. <laughs> so so. And here's the list. Here's the list of guys I don't see us being able to guard: Anthony Davis, Giannis, you know LeBron to a certain extent, Embiid. Zion, even like Sabonis and to a lesser extent, like the Gasol Ibaka center by committee rotation. Like we just don't have guys to, to guard those bigger dudes. And I mean, I'd like to kind of go on, on a little tangent here with this. Like the whole league is trying to find ways to guard them. And the best th- way is through personnel. Like it's great that we've got a roster full of six, six, you know, defensive specialists, perimeter defender, laterally quick guys, you know, two-way, borderline all-star wings. Like, that's that's our MO. Um, it's great that, you know, several of those guys went to Popovich post-defense school this past summer at the World Games, you know, playing up a position. All those guys got reps at the four and the five, include, you know, especially uh, Jalen Brown was playing a lot of five. Um, but it would be better if we had someone similarly sized to actually be an appropriate matchup um so like we've cough, got cough, aaron baines exactly you know like it's we're going to end up seeing tice and grant williams you know trying to guard these larger dudes and it's like watching someone who knows they're smaller trying to bang with these guys they're putting in the effort you know marcus smart's going to put in the effort but they're all going to be like keeping their face back to so they don't break their nose you know they're being tough while while protecting themselves whereas a bigger dude wouldn't have to be protective at the same time um, and it's great that they're able to switch everything, um, but they're not actually set up to handle those switches. And it's not the post-ups I'm worried about. It's the drives to the rim by Giannis, by Embiid, you know, by, by Anthony Davis. Um, Wait, Josh, and, are, you, are you out on Taco Fall as our Embiid stopper? I thought that was your big savior. That, yeah, the whole point was we should have used Taco in limited minutes at least once to like in the regular season against Embiid just to see what that was. You don't try that in the playoffs now. So we didn't try it during the season. Well, it's out. Uh, but Mike, Adam, you mentioned Robert Williams. Hold on. Hold on. Mike brought up a point that I think is important to stay with for a moment. Uh, this, uh, Josh, you've talked a lot about Taco Fall as an Embiid stopper in the past. And there's been a roster rule change before we would have had to try Taco in the regular season, and because of Embiid's injuries, uh, and I, I, yeah, I think it was mostly injuries that he didn't play in the games right. against us, so we couldn't use Taco against him. No, there was and one so game we, we could have. The first game we could have, but we chose not to. <laughs> the first game, okay. Yeah, and that's why I was like, we got to do this, and then the next game right. we didn't have an opportunity to. But I don't think Brad. And the reason to. we had to do it was because we would then need to make a decision about do we take somebody else off the roster and put Taco on for right. a playoff series against Philly. Right. Now Taco is a full-fledged roster participant. He can play in the playoffs. This should be a huge win for you. You should be excited about this, Josh. No, man. Look, 
like I, I like that you guys are calling me out on like being wrong, I guess, about former predictions. But the playoffs are not a time to test these things out. The only time you're going to see Taco on on your screen is in Instagram videos. I mean, he's not going to be on the court <laughs> unless you're talking about the first eight play uh, play in games or the the first eight games and 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 you try you him don't out play there. But just in general, that's the only time you would see tacos in those first eight games. I don't think you're going to see him at all. But but I see this, you know, Robert Williams, I think, is a potential answer to this issue of, of we don't have the right guys to guard Anthony Davis, to guard Zion, to guard, you know, Giannis. Like, we're going to – we've done a great job in the last decade of guarding LeBron with, with you know, the Paul Pierce's and James Posey's all the way on up to the guys that we have on our current roster. Um, but we have no answer to, to anyone bigger than him. And, and I think even him, even LeBron is you know, potentially in this category now. What do you guys think? So I, when the season ended, or, or just before it ended, I, I, on the podcast, said there, there's a top six teams, and the Celtics are a part of that. And the top six were Milwaukee, Toronto, and Boston in the East and L.A. Lakers, Clippers, and, um, and I had Houston at, in the top six in the West. Um, Mike, you mentioned that, Mike, you mentioned that, that, um, that regular season predicts playoffs. I did totally disagree with that. I think there's a lot of teams that play better in the regular season that, that are not set up for the playoffs. I think Denver is one of those teams. Um, and the difference between now and then is that Philly got healthy. There was there were I mean there were huge question marks about whether Simmons could play with Embiid. Embiid has always had health concerns. I think this layoff helps him the most. Uh, but but um, Ben Simmons was injured and wasn't expected to play. I don't believe in the playoffs, and now he is. Right. So Philly, I think, has improved more than any other team, uh, and that includes the Trailblazers, who got a couple players back uh, in Nurkic and uh, the other big whose name I always forget. Zach Collins. Um, yeah, but. Whatever they're not, they're not of concern. So, um, so now I would say there's sort of a top seven teams, and looking at five thirty eight, their predictions align with that. So they actually have uh, the Lakers uh, uh, winning the the title at thirty percent chance of winning it. The Clippers at twenty four percent chance. The Bucks have a fifteen percent chance of winning it all. They have the seventy sixers fourth at fourteen percent. And then tied for fifth is the Rockets and the Celtics at 7%. Uh, they do have the Celtics above the Rockets in their chance of making the finals. They give the Celtics a 22% chance of making the finals. But they give the 76ers a 32% chance. So, um, and, and I, I like 538s, uh, the way that they, they uh, their data collection and uh, the work that they do. So, so this is not a bad uh, resource here. So, um, you know, I agree. I totally agree with Mike. I think the likelihood of the Celtics winning the title is is low, um, but not non-existent. Uh, a lot of things have to go right, as you said, Josh. Responses to that? Well, five thirty. I just want to question five thirty-eight right now because you're you're saying that they got the Lakers and the Clippers at twenty-five and thirty percent chance, and then the Bucks are down half of that percentage-wise they're 15%. Like I just that's crazy yeah. to me why you would put the Bucks that far below two LA teams with worse records. Like it just doesn't make sense. So now Because the Bucks have never done it. As good as Giannis as good as their their perimeter shooting is, 
they they don't have Kawhi, they don't have LeBron, and those guys turn it on in in the playoffs. Um, and and AD is a monster. Uh, I, I just I don't. I mean, I I've been saying all season. I think the Clippers are going to win it all. I just I don't see the Bucks having a chance against those two teams. It would be yeah. a complete upset if they. It's won. only a matter of time before. I mean, we've seen the Bucks in the playoffs the last two years. It's only a matter of time before they get over the hump. And the way that they've been shooting the ball, the way their net rating has been. You know, just one of the best of all time this year. It's it's a different it's a different team this year. Um, you know, as a Celtics fan, I can only hope that three months off from basketball means that all the outside shooters on that team are maybe going to struggle finding their shot again in this bubble environment. And that's actually something I'm super curious about in general. Like, are the are the field goal and three point percentages going to be down a little bit because of all the time off these players have had? which for a lot of them is the most time off they've ever had in their entire life since they were you know, three, four years old. So that's just a big question mark to me, which may seem silly to you guys, but it's, it's legit to me. Um, and it's but the I, only chance we have against the Bucks. I also wonder if, if people's shooting is going to be better because they're playing in empty gyms, which is more like their, their practice setting. Like, I, I'm really curious how the empty arenas is going to Im- impact performance in general. So, you know, some some players are career performer, like an Embiid, clearly feeds off the energy of the crowd, loves loves the uh, excitement of of the crowd. And Philadelphia is an interesting team in general because they're such a home. Like during the regular season, they were so much better during home games versus away games. What what is a neutral site? setting going to do for a team like that or yeah. for a player like Embiid like it's just such a mystery there's so many question marks you know even just if we're if we're microscope looking at the Philly you know with Simmons playing the four or Simmons back is that you know what was even happening before and with his back and is that going to hold up there's just so many question marks team by team I mean you look at the Lakers without Rondo and Avery Bradley that's that's a big deal you know, relying on J.R. Smith and Alex Caruso, you know, it's just, there's just a lot of question marks team by team. And and when you get to the Celtics, you know, you got some obvious question marks, like, can we guard those bigger players or what's up with Kemba's knee? But you've got youth, you've got chemistry, and those things go a long way, especially the chemistry. Like, I'm not too worried about how the team's going to um, – pick up the slack if Kemba sits for a game, you know, whereas with the Lakers, I'd be kind of worried about what they're going to do with, with no guards, uh, no ball handlers. Really? I mean, I, oh, LeBron, they're, they're so much- LeBron is going to play so well in, the, in this, this uh, quarantine situation. Yeah. I, think I, just feel I agree like he's with been that. Working out like a fiend. I mean, unless he gets some, some like quad injury or, or what happened last year, a few years ago in the playoffs, the, the hamstring, tightness like he might have some injuries like that but i think he's going to be a beast i think lebron is going to be markedly the best player in um in this bubble setting except for Kawhi. no i think lebron is going to dominate i think he i think he's going to be on a mission i think he just had a chance to rest i think he's got much more motivation as far as legacy elements are concerned and he he's going to be totally locked in he's going to be annoyed about all the talk of people saying Kawhi is better than him Giannis is ready to take over Jordan's better Uh, than him I I think he's going to be um 
unbelievable. Do, Mike, and do you think he's motivated great. by the last dance? Do you th- and and not only LeBron, but do you think a lot of these young guys are like watched Michael Jordan? I, I have no watched, idea. Watched the last w- dance, and then and then they're <laughs> I, like, ready I, to I get watched. Back. No, I watched literally zero seconds of the last dance, so I have no idea whether that might motivate him or not. Okay, so here's what I think. I, I, I genuinely don't happens. know. You got all these young guys who've never seen Michael Jordan play. They've seen the last dance. Now they know how legit he was and and what kind of a uh, a demon he was to to play with and, and about winning. And and I think it kind of motivated everybody to like want to go out and be like Mike, you know, who who never grew up watching him before. Um, and then for someone like LeBron, I think it's potentially like that was that was Jordan Jordan releasing that doc and approving the release of that doc at that time when everyone's questioning his legacy and who's the goat i think you know that was Jordan saying okay remember me and now lebron has a chance to say something of his own and it sounded like you were saying like you know he's going to be extra motivated i'm wondering if that was part of the reason um I mean, look, I obviously don't know LeBron at all, uh, but based on observing him from afar, my guess as to what are going to be driving him are a combination of um, feeling that people have been kind of overlooking his greatness for the last couple of seasons as a as a function of his getting older and, you know, I think fairly criticizing the fact that he's mailed it in in the regular season. Thank you. Um, uh, and to um you know relatedly talking about as i just said Kawhi and and Giannis or durant kind of being better players than him now i think there's going to be a piece of him that's motivated about being a laker and trying to carry forward uh, kobe's legacy um which somehow it was still the same calendar year that kobe had his tragic passing um he's going to be motivated i think by the way that his legacy is intertwined with what's going on on the court and off the court and, and the kind of significant impactful things that he's done off the court and what's going on in the country right now. And the way that him being a a part of a championship this season will help further amplify or magnify his ability to make that positive impact off the court. Um, So I would put all of those factors in above the Michael Jordan piece uh, or the last dance specifically. Yeah. Like, I think he's got a, you know, lifelong, um, it's not even a battle. It's not like an obsession the way it was for Kobe. I don't think, I think he clearly just wants to be, you know, great and supreme. Right. Um, and so there's always kind of a measuring stick against Michael Jordan. And I don't think he's, what, however he views that that comparison or dynamic has probably changed that much because he probably knew everything in the last dance already mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, and I don't think he really cares if like some scrub or like 11th man on random team is like, oh, Michael Jordan was awesome and is better than LeBron. Like I'm sure like he, he might see it and it might just put a little bit of extra fuel into that tank. But I think that tank was already pretty full. Um, so I would put all of those other factors based on my, obviously not knowing LeBron at all, but what I've observed, uh, I would put all those other factors in front for LeBron over the last dance. For whatever the reason, I think LeBron's going to show out here. I think he's got, 
he feels like he's got stuff to prove. He missed the playoffs last year. I, I still think everybody loves to talk about how great Kawhi is when he when he proves it in, in the finals, uh, which he's done twice now uh, at least, and, and then they forget about him the next season. He's still, to me, he's still the best player in the league until we, we see otherwise this finals. So I, I, I think the two of them are going to play amazingly well, and that's going to so play this... a role in why the Bucks won't win, Josh. This brings me to a question I have for both of you. Uh, I mean, the answer, one of the answers I'm looking for is kind of obvious based on what we were just talking about. But what are the series you most want to see in this playoff? Sixers Celtics. Oh, God, as that's the one I, I least want to see. see I do as not want to see that. I want to see. I want, I, I want to see Sixers Raptors. I think that is a fascinating. Or, sorry, sorry, Celtics Raptors. Because I think the coaching matchup is awesome, and I think the teams are really similar um, in their in their kind of multi-positional versatility, athletic, defensive-oriented players. Um, I think I think they'll play each other super super tough. It'll be a really competitive seven-game series. There's no home court advantage now, and uh, Nick Nurse and Brad Stevens I think are in like the top five uh, list of of coaches in the NBA. I think right now the Sixers are the most interesting team to me because they have the biggest margin of how good they could be and how bad they could be. I think they could totally win the championship if it all clicks. I think they could be out in the first round if it doesn't. So that's fascinating to me. I've talked already about my interest in seeing what the Rockets can do in these playoffs with full-on small ball. That's just, in terms of league trends, that's the the most interesting uh, longitudinal question that I have that can be test put to a test in these playoffs. But I think the 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 matchup I'm most interested in is Lakers Clippers. Right. I mean that's gotta be the top of everyone's list. Maybe second could be Bucks Clippers, but LeBron versus Kawhi and yeah. what undoubtedly would be a six or seven game series. Yeah. Um uh, so then obviously everybody else is also looking at Zion and what the Pelicans can do and them them matched up against anybody I think is a must watch right now even to the point where the you know there's rumors that the NBA uh put 22 teams instead of you know uh 16 teams into this bubble to make sure that we included Zion in the ratings that that would incur um I I think well that, wait before you get off the New Orleans well, you I'm not, watch I'm not, the first you better watch the watch the first eight games because they are uh, three and a half games out of the no, playoffs. I know. They're yeah. unlikely to make the playoffs. So no, I know. Get in on Zion early. And I th- and the same for for uh, John Morant and the Grizzlies. I think that's an up and coming team that's going to be really exciting to watch, especially in this format. Um, but to me, the the Bucks and the Celtics game one is going to reveal a lot. I think that that's that's one that I'm really looking forward to. I want to see what the Bucks look like right now. Uh, because July to me, 31st, that's interesting to you? Yeah, to me, I, the, to me the Bucks uh, are the scariest team. And I want to know which Bucks team shows up. Because if it's the Bucks team from the regular season, I'm telling you, everybody else is in trouble. Um, I, no, I, I, disappointing me. I, agree, I agree that the Bucks are the most interesting. Well, I, actually, yeah, I think, I think the Bucks should, be, should have been considered the strong favorite when the season was kind of ticking along. Um, I just don't 
think we should take anything from, frankly, like the first two to three weeks sure. of what happens yeah. in games. So like whatever happens on July 31st is not going to be indicative of what the playoffs will look like in any direction because I expect a lot of sloppy basketball, um, a lot of kind of feeling out rotations uh, and and kind of almost refiguring out what combinations work. Everyone's getting Who's got rhythm early yeah. and who doesn't and all of that stuff. So like for all we know, you know, Maybe maybe the the Bucks Celtics game. Eric Bledsoe looks like a dominator, and then the playoffs come around, and he looks like the Eric Bledsoe of the playoffs in the past couple yep. of years. Right. So like, who knows? And he was just diagnosed with uh, coronavirus too. So there's no that pieces of that too. Uh, but that that's my answer to Adam's question: is Bucks Celtics as that matchup, um, and we'll get our first taste of that in that first game, even if it's without Kemba and with everybody getting their feet wet and, and figuring things out. Um, but Adam, you brought up. Houston and the Sixers in the same sentence. And I feel like they're in that category for me of people, of, of teams that are going to, that are overrated right now. They're just not going to show up the way they do in the regular season. It's just not going to work. I'm not, teams that you're, that you're, you think they could either lose in the first round or win the whole thing. Like that's not, that usually doesn't bode well for that team's chances when you don't know what to expect from the team. Um, and I think that that's just magnified, especially with Houston and their small ball. I just don't see that working as, as much as they could win a game or two here and, or there or a series maybe. Um, I'm not afraid of that because there's just so much room for inconsistency. And same with Philly. Um, Josh, given everything we've talked about, what additional points about reasons why the Celtics would win or fatal flaws that yeah. they have? important to share before we move on so there's the big ones like are we able to, to defend those bigger guys there's the consistency and youth and playoff experience one um i think that you know we've talked a lot about on the pod about gordon hayward i think he's potentially either an x factor or a, a reason or a fatal flaw a reason why we wouldn't be able to get it done just because there's so much inconsistency with him leaving the bubble with his injury past, with his confidence level. So that's a big one. And then there's kind of some lesser ones that may feel like I'm grasping for straws here. But, you know, historically, Brad Stevens' teams have had some scoring droughts. And that's one of the things to, to kind of worry about. I wonder with better players now that you've got, um, you know, basically all stars in Brown and Tatum and Kemba, um, whether that's going to be as much of an issue, the offense stalling. But I just don't want to forget that that's been a pattern in the past with Brad Stevens' coach teams. You guys have any comments on that one? That's interesting. I'm excited to to see Jalen Brown uh, play better in these playoffs. I think that that this is the playoffs here are where you're really going to see the impact of Jalen Brown's involvement in international basketball in the Olympics, uh, playing against and with uh, higher level talent, seeing how they prepare every day. Uh, implementing that all season, I think he's going to come in ready to go, and and I'm excited to see when he takes over games and and how he can hopefully uh, prevent those those scoring droughts because he's not going to be the first or second option, but he's going to be ready to to pour pour in buckets with a mid range turnaround, shooting threes, taking to hard to the basket, free throws, etc. Mike, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm. 
really interested, frankly, to see how Jalen channels uh, his his kind of political activism and um, what I would guess is kind of his his bigger priority as far as what's going on in the country right now um, and channels that into into what's going on in the bubble. Uh, um, between a combination of his performance on the court, presumably to be able to amplify or increase his ability to have an amplified message and and kind of what he does uh, as far as kind of the, the causes that he chooses to to speak to and how he chooses to speak to them while, while in Orlando. Uh, um, so I, I'm going to be very interested to watch Jalen. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, th- I think... I think when you look at all the reasons why the Celtics, you know, are not good enough, um, there's still there's so much room for several of these guys to take a step up, and I think Jalen Brown is one of those. I think that you could really see him being Scottie Pippen in the playoffs this this year. You know, we talked about Kemba has another level to go. I even think Tatum has like another level or two to go. Like he he has to be this consistent. Season? Yeah, he has to be consistent with what he was been was he what he's been doing. Um, but like for him to be the best player in a playoff series or to be considered legitimately a top fifteen guy in the league, like I don't think he's really there yet because he hasn't done it consistently. So he still has to prove that. And yeah, I mean, even Gordon Hayward, I think he's got room with all the hate that I've had towards him. Um, or just frustration or, or lack of confidence in him because he has his confidence has wavered so much. Like he's, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that he's he's got another level to get to, and and yeah. all, if all these guys get to that next level, watch out, you know, because then you're looking at a Celtics team that can win it all, and, and that still has Marcus Smart, you know, someone who's who's going to be making winning plays at the end of the game that you never expect. You were yeah, definitely I, hating on Hayward. That was Hayward hate. Josh, and a whole meter to track it and everything. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm seeing some green-colored glasses right now. There's a ton of optimism, Josh. Yeah, I'm going back and forth. I, you know, I I think that this team is primed right now. Um, You know, obviously, I got some logical reasons why I think that they are. I mean, even their ability to finish at the rim. Like I, I just have bad memories of people missing layups. You know, everybody: Kemba, Tatum, Jalen, Smart, Hayward, Tice. I mean, Grant Williams being able to finish, like, and then not even including guys like Wanamaker and Cantor, and um, so you know, there's there's a lot of reasons, you know, why I could intellectually say, well, you know, we didn't. Here's why we didn't win it. Um, but I really think that there's some there's a potential here where where guys could take a step up, and the the time off would have given um, our our high intellect guys some real perspective on on life and basketball and 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 what it all means and they may be going into this bubble like with some renewed focus and a and a, a purpose that um you know with the chemistry we have could go a long way towards what we see on the on the court now could i could i throw a little bit of cold water uh, to to wipe away a little bit of the green Kool-Aid that Josh just uh, slushed all around <laughs> Please. Uh, I I think, and Adam, you did respond in the moment, but I think a little bit more reaction is warranted uh, <laughs> to Josh calling Jalen or saying Jalen Brown can reach Scottie Pippen levels. Uh, I love Jalen. Um, Scottie's like a top fifty all time player. 
and Jalen like, is his he, defensive top, ceiling and offensive ceiling yeah. are not are not at the level that Scotty reached. So he can be Scotty's a top five uh, defensive player of all time potentially. You're right. Yeah, uh, Jalen can be a a nice kind of uh, offensively and de- defensively versatile player uh, that that comes up big in big moments, but he's not he's not gonna be a Scotty Pippen. That's that's too far. That's a bridge too far for me. And then uh, I certainly agree that Tatum has uh, two, maybe even more levels to go. But I I want to echo kind of the the question, but not as a question that Adam raised uh, and say, I don't think he can get that far this season. I think, and and it ties a little bit to what we were talking about earlier between who's going to be kind of whose team is it? Because what I think Tatum needs to grow the most in is being able to kind of manage and manipulate um, the offense and defense as a primary ball handler. Uh, particularly in high leverage situations. And I don't think the offense is going to run through him enough unless there's kind of an explicit uh, advocacy for that from the coaching staff. Um, It now makes sense why Josh is so optimistic about the Celtics' chances of winning the title. Because if they traded Jalen Brown for Scottie Pippen and traded current Jason Tatum for two levels up Jason Tatum. Kevin Kevin Durant. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And Kemba for a level up. Uh, Now now we're talking about a totally different team, and I do think that team has has a far better chance of winning the title. Yeah, that team would be good. Especially given Pippen's (laughs) title experience already. You guys are talking like you don't expect our young guys to improve and get better and no, this this guy. I do, I do. Just not after three. I don't expect Jalen to go from <laughs> Jalen in February to Scotty Pippen after three months away from basketball. Yeah, this uh, Scotty. Sorry, Pippen, yeah. sorry if that's too uh, pessimistic for you. And, and Jason Tatum, we know you. You just already took like two steps forward, and then took three and a half months off. The first two of which you didn't even have a hoop to shoot on. But can you get consistent with that success, please? Come on. All right. Well, does any of this even matter, though? I mean, that if you guys are going to go there, well, let's let's go all the way. That is the question. Does any of this even matter? Is it weird to focus on this to talk about basketball, Mike? You mentioned that you're really interested to see Jalen Brown's activism and and how he acts as a person and as an advocate, given the forum that he has in this bubble. I'm also really interested in that. But let me let me throw it to you to, to well, talk about some of the things that you've been feeling amongst well, COVID on. and the political climate and racial justice work and all of that. Well, before we get into that, let me just say that the, to the listeners that this podcast may be about to go off the rails. So <laughs> if if you were done with the Celtics, uh, we may, we may go a different route right now. What rails? We're just we're talking about important stuff right here, Josh. You could argue yeah. that basketball is off the rails. Right yeah, now. yeah. If if you if you don't want to hear things that aren't squarely about the Celtics' performance uh, for the rest of the season, this would be the time to to log out. But if you wanna if you wanna hear a little bit of talk about trying to contextualize what we just talked about with everything else going on, then then you, you stay right with us. Um, and you know, Adam, you raised it as a question. I mean, for me personally, it's not a question. I think it is objectively strange to talk about basketball right now. I think we're seeing kind of what's going on in the U.S. Uh, 
as you know there's a lot of political strife there's a major public health crisis um we're seeing that spill over into some from my perspective uh some pretty troubling trends uh on a global uh scale as far as kind of international political dynamics and and relationships um and and really kind of a a shifting of the the foundation of the world order since world war ii uh, so within all of that context, I find it weird to focus on and talk about basketball, um, you know, during normal times, so to speak, uh, basketball has served, you know, I've been, and I remain a huge, huge basketball fan and love watching, watching the Celtics, rooting for the Celtics, um, and, understand that it's a little bit of a distraction it's it's obviously an entertainment product uh but when things are quote unquote normal it it feels like you know that that has always felt like a great place to me to kind of focus my energy and time and attention uh with everything going on in the world right now it definitely feels weirder um and it it i i ask myself more questions about whether or not that's really basketball is really what I want to be focusing my attention on or my energy, you know, putting my energy towards. Um, and so I guess my question is, do you guys feel that as well? Do you has, have things changed for you? Um, you know, so how, how are talking, you experiencing this? We've been talking about this in the context of what should we be talking about on this podcast? What is our responsibility to talk about? What might our uh, listeners want to hear or not want to hear? And, what feels important to us. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I think it's super weird to, to be talking about basketball amidst everything going on. The term new normal keeps being used, applied to different things. And it just speaks to the um, uncertainty that uh, more and more people are now living with than, than were in normal times, in quotes. And so, and the idea that we just need to accept what, what the reality of our current situation is. And there's a lot of things that feel way more important that are far more present than they used to be for more people now uh, that makes the NBA feel that much more like a distraction and leisure. Uh, and I, I, I've always thought that there is a place for leisure activities uh, given balance. Um, but yeah, it's weird. It's weird to be talking about it while social distancing from other people. It's weird to be talking about it in the context of how does the NBA do it in a social distanced world. Um, even within the context of the NBA, they've got their own questions about what is the right thing to do. And there is not a consensus amongst everybody within the NBA about what the right thing is to do around how to uh, shine uh, a light on, on activism and, and the racial justice work that that a lot of players care about and um, how does the NBA keep its players safe? Uh, and each of us is having to make our own decisions about what feels right, given what our needs are, what our risks are uh, and uh, what, what we're willing to sacrifice. It's weird. It's weird. It trivializes things. That's the word that I keep coming back to is, is the important things that are going on in our world. that are way more important than sports are trivializing sports. So the fact that we're going to create this bubble where we're going to continue our old lifestyle and continue our sports 
at a time when it's actually being trivialized. That's that's the feeling of weirdness, I think. Um, that's how I would describe it. And and it kind of trivializes everything that we've been doing over the last 70 years or so in you know, the way that we have the way that human beings and that our society has structured itself it's not it's it's not essential to our survival as a species it's not essential to um our you know living symbiotically with other organisms on the earth with our environment um i, I kind of want to remind everybody that we're you know, we're just another organism on the earth and that if we don't live symbiotically with other organisms on the earth or with each other to start, you know, this isn't going to end well. So, uh, you know, that's, I could get even more pessimistic and go down that road. Um, but, you know, it's a luxury to be, to even have this type of society we have where we have all this creature comforts and we have all, you know, we have things like, sports and and it makes people millions of dollars like what do you do for a living i'm a professional basketball player like just that is a weird thing and i think we're finally maybe realizing that that's not necessarily the way that our human race like was supposed to live um but we've created this amazing bubble for ourselves and our species in our society over the last 70 years so i feel like this ain't this ain't the first bubble and we're, of course, an extension talking about those players as if they're interesting enough to talk about. And you, as a listener, are still listening because you care enough about those players. I, I, I've been interested in the fact that I, I'm still, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously up to date on everything going on in the world and in the news, but I'm also still really interested in, in all of the news coming out of the NBA uh, around how we start, around who's got, who's test positive. Uh, what might happen when they restart? I'm, I'm, I'm still as interested in going on, but that isn't the case for for everybody. Mike, you, you have been far less interested, and I'm curious where it comes from for you. Just that idea. Why am I still interested, but you're not? And where does that come from? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've been, <laughs> um, you know, I first of all, I've been, I've been uh, among. Uh, I've been very fortunate in that my <laughs> main full-time job has remained intact uh, amidst all of this, and, and that has been uh, rather busy of late. Um, and between that and kind of, you know, doing some things for just general balance and self-care and um, kind of tracking the the political events in the country and the the events globally i've just not had much um attention being paid in the direction of the nba or basketball and it, it's it's not something that i've you know it certainly the fact that there's been no active league and, and it's been kind of in this uh wait and see sus suspended state i guess um sure has has meant that it, it hasn't demanded really attention from me on a on a regular basis anyways but um yeah it, it it hasn't felt like i've been short on things to to pay attention to um and it, it, i haven't subsequently felt like a yearning or a missing of the nba um 
in, in recent, I mean, having the conversation we just had has been fun. Like, and I, I you know, it, it is like a, a slice of quote unquote normalcy to, to come back to this conversation. And we haven't had this, this type of conversation for a few weeks. Um, but I do, you know, I, I do just come, come at it with this kind of fundamental sense of weirdness and like, you know, with an, a different orientation about where, where this kind of fits in uh, in the bigger puzzle of, of kind of my, my life and my personal priorities and, and, uh, all of that. I also, you know, I also kind of have a back of mind question, just like, I wonder how much, uh, the players are, are grappling and, and with this exact question, uh, which I'm sure most of them are at, at, at some level. And I, I wonder how intensely it's affecting some, some, individuals versus others um you know yeah and... that's a good point this is like me ahead, I mean, Josh, a, a lot of a lot of these guys this is the longest period of time that they've gone without playing in their entire lives and that directly impacts their identity of who they are as a man and and who they would be without basketball because for 95 percent of these guys they don't know who they'd be without basketball and they won't know until they retire and that's when they'll get a big smack in the face of reality. Um, just like we all got when we realized we weren't good enough and they haven't realized that yet. Uh, when I was enough. seven. Exactly. I still, we, I still haven't accepted that. Right, right. So, you know, most of us listeners and, and podcasters and people in the media and even coaches, we all realized we weren't good enough at a certain period of time. And we dealt with that as, as a person, as a human. Okay. Well, what is my identity then without that? Um, and some of us have stayed in the game. And now, again, this is the first time where it's like, okay, what do we do without this? Um, so I think that there's different camps, Adam. You got the camp that's like, I just want it to be like it used to be. That's what I, you know, that's what I do. That's who I am. That's my identity. So that's all I know. And that's what I need that in order to survive and have mental stability. Um, and then you've got other people like maybe like Mike who are, who are realizing like, wait a second, why are we even doing this? Like, this is trivial. Um, for me personally, I, I think the ship is going down. And when I say the ship, I mean like, look, it's been a long time that our species has not really lived symbiotically with our environment and it's just not going to end well. And when it ends, um, I think that that'll actually be okay and, and better for the earth and better for, um, you know, the next species that comes along that's going to, live more symbiotically and, and set up their society uh, so that we could, so that all organisms are still thriving and living interdependently. Um, and so because I'm super pessimistic about that, about how it ends, I'm just like, let's just enjoy this while it lasts. This is what I'm passionate about. I love basketball. I love play. You know, just the fact that the ball is round, has air in it. And when you drop it, it bounces back up. Like, from a one-year-old, two-year-old perspective, I just think that's super cool, um, and when, and it's when fun. Josh warned us about when Josh warned us about going off the rails. I wasn't sure what he meant, and now, <laughs> yeah, cosine, cosine on that statement, Mike, yeah. <laughs> Mike, if you we, uh, you you've been busy at work at other times, and you've still been obsessive about the NBA and the Celtics, um, and the fire hose has definitely been turned on higher lately politically so i guess like there's an overwhelming amount of stuff to pay attention to right now um do you think that focusing on the nba takes away from 
those other more important things? Um, I I think it it remains to be seen. I think you know there's I again just speaking for myself. Um, everything that's been going on in the country has has led me to kind of a fair bit of introspection and kind of some uh, a fair bit of critical thinking about where I stand and how I stand and what the extrapolation of what my kind of personal uh, and political beliefs uh, looks like and and how I can most effectively kind of take action in, in ways that are meaningful and resonant for me. Um, and you know, that is a time and energy intensive process, uh, which, which I can only devote so much of either to, um, while still kind of maintaining some of the other pieces of my life. So, you know, um, spending energy and, and focus on basketball is another thing that eats into that kind of finite amount of time and energy I have. Um, so there's, you know, there's just kind of a lot of dust that's become unsettled in the world and, and how it settles and how I go about trying to create some, some order or cleanliness about it is, is kind of, uh, in flux <laughs> on a day-to-day basis these days. Um, yeah, and I think yeah. this will resonate with both of you, but, but leisure activity, whether you're playing sports or following them or. Uh, other types of entertainment, they're meant to be a respite. They're meant to be an escape from spending the majority of your time working or focusing on other more important things. Uh, and given everything that's going on right now, I, it, it feels important to just say, we want everybody to be engaged in in what matters to them uh, on a political scale. And, and I like the, the saying, the personal is political, what, what your values are, what's important to you. You should be uh, trying to enact that, and that we're seeing a lot of that going on in in different ways. Um, but that feels really important. And if you are just doing leisure activities, you're doing it wrong. You're focusing too much time on the wrong thing. Uh, so it's nice to have this podcast and and the NBA returning as an escape uh, for me personally. I love having that, but. Um, it, it, it requires balance. So I, I hope that we're all applying that in responsible ways. There you go. There's the level-headed brother I know. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, I think that, yeah, you're right. It's, it's about having perspective, you know. Um, and I think that's all we could ask for right now is, is for, to enjoy this. I'm glad we have this bubble. I think it's, it's cool to see the NBA being cautious and putting a lot of money into this and kind of leading the way um, for how we can reopen different facets of society that may have been closed recently, how to do it in a responsible way um, with scientific information. And um, so we should enjoy that and, uh, and we should keep our perspective. We hope that everybody stays safe. Um, and as you tune in to more of our podcasts, you know, we took a little break this week from our uh, stories from Celtics history, which have been really good in past episodes. We'll be back with that in future episodes. Um, and, and hey, we finally have some basketball to comment on. Stay safe. Stay engaged, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs>